Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for coming today, whether you're here in the room or from wherever you're uh, tuning in from. I'm pumped to share some thoughts with you uh, as we end up our series together. So last fall, here's a story. Last fall, I was looking for a comfortable spot to take a nap with my grandson. Uh, well, actually, I was looking for a spot for me to take a nap. But, you know, it's a good excuse because he was with me. And it was a beautiful day, so I thought the hammock would be perfect. Uh, he grabbed one of his Hot Wheel toy, a toy Jeep, and I grabbed a pillow and an iPad and some water, and we went down to the hammock in the backyard. And I got into the hammock, and I scooped up my grandson when I got down there, and I sat down on the hammock. And as I leaned back, I swung my legs around, and I hear this snap, snap, and we hit the ground like a sack of potatoes. I mean, and although this hit me by surprise... It really didn't, because I knew, I knew one of the support ropes around the tree was getting pretty bad, and I knew that two of the six main ropes that connected the hammock from one end to the other were frayed, but I kept thinking, it'll hold this time, and it'll hold this time, and it'll hold this time, and then without thinking, I grab up my grandson, and we go right down flat on my back, and, and I laid there on the ground with this pointy, unbelievable, pointy little elbow stabbing into my chest and this toy Jeep on my back <laughs> and he's crying and I'm out of breath and it is just a true yard sale. Um, but I tell you that story because, well, we officially ended our series called Repairing Relationships last week and we covered things like the path to peace often begins with empathy and forgiveness catalyzed healing in broken relationships. And conversation, not confrontation, is the path to restoration. And last week we talked when restoration is impossible, boundaries are the key to finding peace. And I love this series. And judging by the emails we got, a lot of you did too. And those of you uh, who put some of those steps into practice really found it useful by engaging the content. But I couldn't help but think as good as all of that was, it's kind of like my hammock. It would have been better, maybe, to do some preventative things. So maybe we wouldn't have to repair a relationship in the first place. I mean, had I checked the ropes... Had I paid attention to the warning signs? Had I adjusted my behavior to correct the problems that I saw already a couple months ago? We would have been well on our way to a peaceful nap instead of a crying yard sale and a visit to the chiropractor. <laughs> so we decided, I decided, to extend the series. And now we have Repairing Relationships, the preventative maintenance version. Thank you very much. So, as someone who loves wisdom, I like to, and I, I look up to wise people, and I try to hang out with them, and I, I try to learn from them, because I know that if I gain knowledge through others' experiences, I'm going to have a better life. And if I can help pass that knowledge on to someone else, that's awesome too. But as we learned before, knowledge alone doesn't help. We have to apply it. And a year ago, we, I did a series, and we talked about how, how wisdom is knowledge that's rightly applied. And a week ago, we sent an email. Uh, I sent the email to some people that I do life with. And I asked them a question. I said, what wisdom do you have that prevents us 
from getting into trouble in our relationships. So we don't have to go back and repair it. You know, advice to keep us out of the doghouse. And of course, I have odd friends, so we get some unique things back. And here's some of those pearls of wisdom I thought I'd share with you. The first reply that came, came back within two minutes, and it was this. Never say yes to the question, do these jeans make me look fat? <laughs> A lot of you have been there, I'm sure. Uh, and then this one. Always tell the truth and be honest, even if it means you have to lose. Now, I am convinced, those of you who watched Ted Lasso, whoever sent that quote in, that's a Ted Lasso quote, so I'm, you can check that out. Uh, and then there was this three-part one, avoid relationships altogether. But if you must, approach it with a humble heart. And if that doesn't work, try the first idea. That's great advice. And then this one, uh, look at every relationship as an opportunity to love others well with appropriate boundaries, like we talked about last week. And then uh, this one, practice thinking of others first and be intentional about kindness. And then uh, someone decided to add a little spirituality to it. One of my friends, you know, trying to show that they read their Bible. And so they said, James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then he added at the end, now if I could only practice what I preach. Well, there was a man named King Solomon. And he reigned between 970 and 931 BC. And his dad was the legendary King David. And Solomon was considered greater in wisdom and wealth and power than any king that reigned before him. And there is a collection of writings uh, called Proverbs, and a number of these Proverbs were written by Solomon. And Proverbs contain all these pearls of wisdom, timeless wisdom for you and me to obtain, but if we're wise, we put them into practice. Now, before we jump into those Proverbs, I want you to think about the relationship that's closest to you. Just pick one for now and think about the direction of that relationship. Because ideally, you're moving in the same direction together, moving through life with common goals and common values. But as life moves on, life happens. And things can change over time. And if we take a moment to evaluate what our relationship might look like, we might see something like this. Your life is aligned, and you're moving through life in the same direction together. Or, maybe you do want, you want completely different things, and you're like two ships passing in the night. Or maybe we're against each other, and that's always a tough place to be. <laughs> it doesn't work out so well. Or maybe we're slowly drifting apart. And my hunch is, that many of you are here right now. And that's the place I want to focus our time today. Because we don't have enough time for the other two. Those are going to be a lot of work. But they often begin here. With a slow drift apart. Drifting apart is natural. It's normal. It's just what happens when we're not intentional with the relationships that are closest to us. So the question for today is, how do we avoid drifting apart from the people we love the most? How do we avoid doing this? 
And specifically, we want to focus on this moment. The moment that we begin drifting apart. The very beginning of where we start drifting. Because it's at this moment that the change in direction seems really subtle. And it's not a big difference. It's only a small move. And you're not drastically different from the person that you love the most. And, but if you don't fix things right here, if you don't realign and readjust right here, you're going to find yourself a great distance apart. Some call it the butterfly effect. And if you, have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? It's, it's this cause and effect theory that was developed by a guy named Edward Lorenz when he was studying weather forecasting. And he called it that because he had learned that the smallest action over time led to a massive change. That tiny changes in the present, like in the weather, lead to big changes in the future. And the famous ex example that they used to explain that is this. He said, when a butterfly flutters its wings in one part of the world, it can eventually cause a hurricane in another. Well, MIT decided to do a study on this theory so that small differences lead to large outcomes. So I just encourage you to watch this. In this model from MIT, the white lines represent a bunch of balloons released from approximately the same point. Eventually, the balloons diverge along very different paths because of the small differences in their starting points. Change the initial condition ever so slightly, infinitesimally slightly. The two trajectories seem to go along with each other, and then they diverge, and they diverge exponentially fast. So that is chaos. And that's the butterfly effect. Now, it can also work in good ways, bad ways and good ways. So in my life, I can make this statement. I went to a blueberry field, and I got two grandkids. Yeah, picture that one. It was 1979, the summer of 1979, 43 years ago, uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And I had finished work on my uncle's poultry farm, and I wanted to go for a motorcycle ride. So I hopped on my dirt bike, and I rode down to my uncle Bob's blueberry farm. And uh, while I was there, I stopped in to say hi to my mom. And my mom was helping him out in the blueberry processing shed. And so standing next to my mom was this girl that caught my eye. And apparently she liked how my gray Mickey Mouse shirt hugged the ripples of my sculpted body. <laughs> yeah. 43 years and two kids later, we have two grandchildren. A small action and a massive change. I went to the blueberry field and I got two grandkids. And that's the butterfly effect. But sometimes it, it works differently. What about this one? Some of us could say, I got a gym membership and I lost my marriage. Of course, there was all actions and decisions that, that went between those events. But, you know, while you were working out, you, you met a woman and, and she was nice and you shared some conversation and well you you enjoyed the attention so you began changing your workout time to kind of match hers a little bit and then you changed your routine to kind of mostly more align with her workout routine and you decide to Facebook friend her and you found you have more things in common and one thing leads to another and over time 
we'll find ourselves in lie after lie, so much so that you can't keep them straight anymore because you're living this secret life outside of your marriage or outside of your most important relationship. It's, again, the butterfly effect. A chain reaction that started at the gym, I got a gym membership, and I lost my marriage. Now, if you looked back, it all started with a moment that you realized you had already gone off course. There was some sort of pull toward that person. This little bit of electricity ever so slightly drew you there, and and you had a choice. You had a choice to shut it down or lean into it. And you decided to lean. And in that moment, in that moment, it didn't seem like a big decision. In this moment, it doesn't seem very drastic. There was no intent to blow up your marriage. In this moment, you didn't feel way disconnected from your spouse. But in this moment, a chain of events were set off that were fueled and filled by small decisions that over time wrecked the relationship. So this whole idea of a small decision over time leading to a relationship that needs repair is what we're going to take a look at today in Proverbs. We're going to spend some time in Proverbs chapter 7, but before we jump there, there's one other piece of wisdom that Solomon has for us, and I do want to share that, and I want to step over there a minute because, well, it really helps set the stage for Proverbs 7. It's a verse that many Christ followers have chosen to memorize because it's true, it's wise, and it's easy to memorize. So it's got those for it going for it. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it starts out like this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not in your own understanding. Trust God. Trust that his rules and his guidelines are for our good and for our benefit. And then he says, don't lean in to your own understanding. Why? (laughs) You know why? Because we can't always trust our feelings and we can't always trust our emotions. You know full well that you and I can talk ourselves into anything we want. Our creativity and our imagination goes into overdrive when there's something that we want. And we're often lying to ourselves and we don't even realize it half the time. We have this terrifying ability to rationalize almost anything. It's just a conversation. It's just a stapler from the company. It's just hiding a little income. We rationalize anything. And if you don't believe me, try the exercise I did. Just look in your closets or look in your garage and see all of those things that you talked yourself into needing but mostly go unused. It was embarrassing for me, I admit it. It happens with stuff, but it also happens with people. So instead of trusting in yourself, Solomon says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So if you think about your life, as God thinks about your life, you're going to have a more clear-cut direction. It doesn't mean that God's going to Um, make it easier for you or tell you audibly that next step that you need to take. But if you do look at that decision as he would look at that decision, the decision often becomes clearer, a straighter path. 
like these two straight arrows. You're on a path, you and God. But when we rely on our own understanding, we eventually find ourselves drifting. So, that divergence, that drifting, is what Solomon addresses next. So, before we read it, the example that Solomon uses, um, I, the example that he uses is about marriage and adultery. So, I'm going to stick with that example because that was his example. Uh, but it, this is real important. I don't want you to miss this. The principle of wisdom that we're going to learn can and should be applied to any relationship that's important to you. So if you're not married, swap out the spouse part and insert the relationship that is most important to you, okay? It's the principle of wisdom that we're going to look at. Proverbs 7, here we go. Solomon is giving what many believe is advice to his young sons, um, a warning to them. And he's likely sharing that warning because he watched his dad, his own father, King David, go through this same path of destruction. See, Solomon's dad, King David, was um, glancing out, out of his window or off his lanai one night, and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And she's bathing in all of her glory on the roof, rooftop of her home. And he just had to have her. And he did. And it set off a chain of events that impacted the whole nation. And Solomon... I think Solomon just wants better for his sons. So I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to figure out how that story applies to us when we're at the end of the story. So it starts here. I stood at the window of my house looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, and I spotted a young man without any sense. So Solomon's chilling by the window doing something I think a lot of us like to do. I know I like to do. I like people watching. And he, and he knows the neighborhood really well. He knows who lives where in the neighborhood. And he notices someone who's leaning on their own understanding. He recognizes the look on this young man's face. And sure enough, this young man leans and lives into Solomon's observation. Goes on. Arriving at the corner of the street where she lived and then turning up the path to her house. It was dusk. The evening coming on, and the darkness thickened into night. Remember, there was no electricity back then, uh, no street lights, and it is dark out. It's time to be home. It's time to be with your spouse, eating with your family, putting the kids to bed. But he's not. He's walking out in front of her house, hoping to be noticed goes on just then. A woman met him. She'd been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brash she was, restless and roaming, never at home, walking the streets, loitering in the mall, hanging out at every corner in town. She threw her arms around him and kissed him and boldly took his arm and said, I've got all the makings for a feast today. I've made my offerings, my vows are all paid, so I've come to find you, hoping to catch sight of your face, and here you are. And then, like most situations do, things begin to escalate really fast. I spread fresh, clean sheets on my bed, comfortable, 
or colorful imported linens. My bed is aromatic with special spices and exotic fragrances. Come, let us make love all night. Spend the night in ecstatic lovemaking. Obviously, this is from the message version. (laughs) But it really gets the idea across a little better. What she's essentially saying is this, that instead of having dinner, she wants to pull back her expensive sheets and make available her sweet-smelling mattress that smells of essential oils. It's quite a pickup line. (laughs) And I'm sure it's probably pretty effective. And if he isn't convinced yet, she starts to take away his main objections. My husband's not home. He's away on business, and he won't be back for a month. Soon she had him eating out of her hand, bewitched by her honeyed speech. Now, take a look at some of the word pictures that Solomon paints next. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop, like a stag lured into an ambush and then shot with an arrow like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. This young man leaned into his own understanding. It's just one night, and we'll go back to our regular lives like it never happened. And he rationalized this moment. And how many of us rationalize a moment like this? And it costs us our marriage and our career. And Solomon goes on, And he says, so friends, listen to me. Back up. Friends, listen to me. Take these words of mine most seriously. Don't fool around with a woman like that. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. Countless victims come under her spell. She's the death of many a poor man. She runs a halfway house to hell and fits you out with a shroud and a coffin. Those are powerful words. And so, what are we supposed to take away from this? Well, one thing we're not going to take away from this, from the story, is something about the woman. We're not supposed to learn something from the woman with a cinnamon vanilla smelling mattress. Um, It could have just as well been a handsome guy with an Australian accent and a bottle of wine. Okay? (laughs) Works the same. The main moral of the story is not that men or women should dress more modestly and, and pull back their expensive sheets. He's trying to teach us about the moment that things went wrong for the man or whoever's in that situation. It's easy to miss if we're not paying attention. So the question is, when did things start going wrong? Was it when it's, he started talking to her? Or was it when he let her kiss him? Or when he went inside? Or when he laid on her mattress? Or when he slept with her? The answers to all those questions, according to Solomon, is no. That's not where he went wrong. Now, yes, all of those decisions were very unwise, of course, and not good. But according to Solomon, those were not the moments that things went south for the man. Instead, Solomon starts to swim up the chain a bit, the chain of events, to the actual moment that the young man was done for, when he was toast. And he shares that by bookending his story with it. Now, in in Solomon's culture, if something was really important, like the big idea, they would start out with it in their story, and then they circle back and land on it again. 
And this is what he did. Remember how he started. He said, I spotted a young man without any sense arriving at the corner of the street where she lived and then turning up the path to her house. And then, at the end of the story, he circles back and he lands here. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. It wasn't the conversation. It wasn't the seducing. Solomon said the young man's downfall began the moment he began pacing around the house with nothing better to do, and he allowed himself to entertain the idea of wandering down that road. It's the butterfly effect. He could have essentially said, I went for an evening stroll and I lost everything. It seemed insignificant. He thought, well, I'm just going for a walk, but I think I'm going to walk this way. And it set off a chain reaction that ruined his life. I think Bono in this case, he had it wrong. We do seem to find what we're looking for. When you start to entertain the idea of joining the golf league because maybe, maybe he might be in your foursome down the road or entertaining the idea of bringing a drink to the co-worker in the office hoping that she'll maybe notice you or entertaining the idea of changing your workout routine to better match somebody else's or, or choosing the, gro- the grocery checkout line based on who you want to check you out. See what I did there? Oh yeah, that was good. Not, not, not only Brady has bad humor, so. <laughs> or maybe you consider dumping a good friend because there's another friend that offers you a little more in return. Or entertaining the idea of going down to the hotel bar just to see what's going on. And when you lean into those ideas, you are toast. Solomon is less interested in best tips for repairing your marriage. He is way more interested in teaching those people close to him how to avoid having to fix relationships in the first place. And according to Solomon, the way to avoid blowing up the relationships that are most important to you is to focus on and course correct in these moments. Be on the lookout for that. The moment when you change direction ever so slightly. Why? Because in these moments, we are intentionally flirting with disaster. And if I could summarize up what Solomon is saying, and it's our big idea today, and put it in a one sentence, it's this. Don't flirt with disaster. These things rarely sneak up on us and surprise us. When we begin to entertain the idea, Solomon says, friend, daughter, son, Woman, man, you are flirting with disaster. And you have a high potential of losing what is so important to you. I mean, it's easy for us to judge this young man. There's a lot of us flirting with disaster right now. Please, course correct. I know that some of us are there right now. Or we were on the precipice, or we've been entertaining the thought, or we've already been leaning into, or we've already taken steps into ruining some relationships that are so close to us. And it's not just in marriage, it's in other areas of life too. Like, like maybe we were caught in the snare of porn, but you know, we got that under control. Now it's been great for a number of years. Or we've retired from drinking, and we've been sober for 17 years, and 
We stop telling lies now and our life is going well again and, or we stopped dieting and now we, or we started dieting and now we, had, we got to stop because we're at our ideal weight. Or we stopped working late every day so we can cheer our kids on in their band and sports events. Or we finally got our finances in order and it's been a great few years and life has been so good and we got our boundaries set up and things are going really well and then all of a sudden we're a little overconfident. And we begin to tell ourselves, we rationalize to ourselves that we can let up on these boundaries just a little bit. And we rationalize that boundary ever so slightly away. Just a moment. And we begin to wander down to the hotel bar or pick up that drink or click on that website or eat that poppy seed lemon muffin. You know what you're doing, and we are flirting with disaster. Now, maybe you're feeling distant in your relationship, and you find yourself unappreciated, so you reach out to someone that used to appreciate you, and they made you feel alive and valued, and, well, you jump on Facebook, and you see their picture, and they aged really, really well. One of Israel's prophets named uh, Jeremiah said it this way. And maybe this is a good one to memorize. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. The question we started with today is how do we avoid drifting apart from the relationships that we value and love the most. Pause at the crossroads. Play out this decision in your mind. Stop flirting with disaster and go home. It's simple to understand, but it's really hard to do sometimes. So pause at the crossroads. In those seemingly insignificant moments when you change, begin to change direction, like when you find yourself longing for someone that's not your spouse or tempted to pick up that drink or tempted to, yeah, whatever that is. Or you catch yourself zoning out with your phone or TV or video games because, well, it's easier than dealing with the kids. In those moments, pause and start to think about your decision and what God thinks about your decision. And then after we pause, stop. Choose to not flirt with disaster. Maybe we're avoiding going home and we're working extra hours or fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. And we just need to stop. Stop flirting with disaster. And you say, well, can I really stop? What if I made you an offer? What if I said that if you would stop doing whatever that is for one year, I would give you a million dollars? I have that to spare. I'm a pastor. <laughs> you would take me on that offer. You'd take me up on it because you would think that the reward was worth it. So the question is, is the reward of having a healthy, thriving marriage that stands the test of time worth it? Do you think a healthy relationship with your kids that stands the test of time is worth it? I'll tell you, I've talked to more guys that said they would give anything, anything 
to have their family back together again. And if you think your family is worth it, then hear it straight. Stop, period. Cut it out of your life and stop flirting with disaster. And then last, choose home. In another proverb, Solomon says this. I love the image. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Enjoy what you have at home. Stop looking around. Love your spouse. Hang out with your kids. Invest in the relationships under your roof first. And then those others that are important to you. It's really important. All right. As we wrap up, uh, I want to remind you of the butterfly effect and that it can happen in good ways too. Solomon warmed about the bad, but also realized that the smallest, almost insignificant change moving towards something like an important relationship can make just as huge of a difference over time. What if you decided to turn your cell phone off during mealtime or put it away during those critical family hours in the evening? You'd have more one-on-one time, you'd understand each other deeper, you'd have better conversations, and maybe you'll be able to say in 10 years, I turned my phone off and I have kids that want me part of my life. I turned my phone off and I have kids that want me part of their life. It works both ways, but it all starts here. No, not here! (laughs) The punchline is gone! All right, but it all starts here. It starts at that point, standing at the crossroads of divergence. When you find yourself there, choose wisely. You know where this is going now, don't you? (laughs) Don't take my word for it, but take Jonathan Goldsman's word for it. Choose wisely, my friend. Thanks. If you're willing, would you stand and uh, pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Um, It's uh, in these moments, we just... Please speak to us. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of our value, our values, our character, and the future that you have for us and the future that you desire for us. Give us courage to pause, to stop at those crossroads and to choose home. And if we're already down that road and we know that we are, then convict us of that decision and give us courage to stop, to reverse course, and choose home. It might be an awful tough road, but you promise to be with us. So we ask for your strength in that. Father, I'm also reminded that it was two years ago today that Brady and I stood on this stage and um, at a time of a lot of racial tension in our community and the turmoil that had unfolded and Today, two years later, we see that there's countries at war and families devastated in Texas. And all of these things begin in the heart of people. People who leaned into their own understanding. And they didn't acknowledge you. And they diverged. As we, as individuals, prayerfully get involved in whatever ways you lead us, empower your churches and this church to display unity in proclaiming and demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. That that love can invade the darkest hearts and bring healing to the deepest hurts. We pray all these things and ask for strength and courage and peace in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, and we'll see you back next week.